Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. continue in our discussion on the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Um, and today we have a very interesting parable. In fact, this parable is, has some words in it that are considered uh, some of the most difficult words of Jesus. If you look up difficult words of Jesus in the Bible, uh, some of the words we're going to be talking about today come up. So let me start off with a prayer and then we'll get right into the parable. So Father, we want to thank you that we can look at the words of Jesus in red. We thank you that we can go through these parables and be able to understand some of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Uh, so, so, so today we're in uh, Luke uh, chapter 14. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and grab it. Uh, if you don't remember, I said uh, contact me. Send me an email, give me a call. I'd love to be able to give you a Bible. You need a Bible to be able to study God's Word. And this is in, um, in Luke uh, chapter 14. Last week we had just discussed the parable of the Great Supper, and this is what follows afterwards. Um, verse 25 of Luke chapter 14, it says this, it's, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its favor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is, uh, this is like I said, this is a very interesting parable. The parable is actually called the parable of the tower or the par parable of the king's wars. However, let's, let's talk about the, the elephant in the room. You've heard that expression before, right? the elephant in the room. And the idea is this, is that you, you walk into a room and you're going to have a meeting um, and everybody gets down and starts going through the agenda, but there is literally an elephant standing in the room. And it's like nobody pays attention to the elephant. They just go on with their business. Well, there's definitely an elephant in, in this room today. Um, like I said before, this, this parable today um, this, these words that I read contain some of the more difficult sayings of Jesus. So, so let's address what I call the elephant in the room. Most likely in your Bible, or if it's not in your Bible, maybe you've heard it spoken that this is the, this is the parable that talks about the cost of discipleship. Have you heard that? The cost of discipleship. 
And you see, if that's the, the title, if that's the elephant in the room, then everything that you read, you're taking it, are, these are the, the instructions that Jesus is giving me regarding the cost of discipleship. But see, that's not how I teach this. I teach this as the parable of building the tower, or the parable of the king's war. Um, Jesus has something to say to the multitudes that are following him. And, and one of the things that I think as a, as a pastor, and actually if you've been a, a Christian uh, any length of time, if you've been around the block a few times, if you know the stories of the history of the church, you know it's actually almost impossible to consider the cost of discipleship. I mean, seriously. These, these people that were following Jesus were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for somebody that was going to, to come and reestablish the, uh, the kingdom of Israel under its, under, no longer under Roman occupation. Uh, that the, the throne of the, of the king of David would be, would be fulfilled. And, and, and the issue is, is that they didn't have the slightest idea what discipleship truly was going to cost. And you know, here's the thing, neither do we all through the 2,000 years of the history of the church there were people that became Christians not realizing what it was actually going to cost them at some time in the future at some time in the future I remember when I was uh, was a young believer my wife and I had just uh, committed our life to Christ and there was a, a gospel singer we used to love listening to some of the contemporary music that was out there and there was a guy about my age just a young guy at the time his name was Scott Wesley Brown and, and he sang a song, and I can't remember the name of the, the, name of the song, but it had these, this chorus in it. It was, please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> Wants to be a disciple, but please don't send me to Africa. And then there's a line in that song that says, where the natives are restless at night. And you see, my friends, this is exactly the thing that, that we teach, is that there is, a, there is a cost to discipleship, absolutely. There's definitely a cost of discipleship, even though it's a free gift, and Jesus paid the price. The cost was actually paid by Jesus. As we follow Jesus, from time to time, Christians are called to make, well, actually, the, the ultimate sacrifice. We know that in the early history of the church, uh, in Jerusalem, after Jesus uh, died, uh, rose again, and then was ascended, uh, the Jewish people, his disciples, the apostles and, uh, and the 5,000, for example, on the day of Pentecost that started following him, all of a sudden found themselves under heavy persecution. But, but they couldn't possibly count that cost ahead of time. They didn't know that, that was going to happen to them. All, all through the ages, there's been opportunities for people that are living an idyllic life. I mean, they're living as a Christian in a Christian home and Christian friends and family, and all of a sudden the enemy comes in and they find themselves on the, what we call the short end of the stick. They, they all of a sudden find themselves that they are, they are likely to be persecuted. And, and if you understand the parable, if you understand this elephant in the room, this is, this is not talking about counting the cost of discipleship, which I believe, quite frankly, is impossible. What Jesus is doing, he's doing two things. One, he's drawing a lion in the sand between those that wanted a, a comfort religion uh, and those that understood what it truly meant who Jesus was, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God. If he was God, then he needs to be above all else. Remember the commandment, the commandments, uh, they were summarized, right? They were summarized. 
by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Everything. Everything. It's all about God. And then the second commandment is you love your neighbor as yourself. So let's get back to this, this parable and see if we can unpack it a little bit, talking about some of these difficult words that Jesus is saying. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll find it, it, it actually very profitable to do that. So we start off in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, and Jesus makes some very surprising comments about disciples, about disciples. He says, anyone that wants to be his follower, follower must hate everyone and everything, and they must carry the cross. Well, again, this is a very difficult saying. How, what does it mean to, to anyone, if anyone wants to come to me and does not hate his father and mother? Hate father and mother? Well, here's, here's a little truism. This is what I want you to do. Every time that you're reading the scriptures and you're trying to understand what these things mean, what you need to do is you need to take the difficult sayings, the things that are difficult to understand in the Bible, and compare them with the things that are clear, that are very, very clear. So I think it's very, very clear who Jesus is and what he said about love. Um, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus also had some very, very strong words about even anger, even anger, let alone hate. Uh, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, you fool. So the clear teachings, the clear teachings of Jesus in the Bible indicate that we are to be a people of love, that we're supposed to love our, our mother and our father. We're supposed to honor them. That's one of the commandments. You notice in here there's no indication that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that truly hate Jesus, um, had any objection to this. They knew what the fifth commandment was. They knew that the fifth commandment was to, to, love, to love and honor your father and mother. Uh, but they don't have anything to say. And the reason is, is because they understood, unlike us, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying because they, there were idioms, idioms um, in any language. An idiom, an idiomatic uh, expression uh, means that there's something that's being said that people understand based on the context, on the idioms that are out, uh, but you can't really take it literally. For example, we use that today. Um, I could say, you know, uh, you know, James, James is such a, a great friend of mine. He would give me the shirt off his back. Give it me the shirt off his back. Um, what's the matter? You have nothing to say? Has the cat got your tongue? See, these are idiomatic expressions. And we're told by scholars, people that understand the Hebrew language and uh, Aramaic language and the times of Jesus much better than I do, uh, that there was an idiomatic expression uh, talking about hating something. You remember, the Jewish people often, you see this in the parables and the Psalms, you even see in the book of Judges, the book of Hosea, um, often used uh, extremes, extremes. Uh, um, hate and love is an extreme. Um, uh, light and darkness is an extreme. Remember those of you that have been following my teachings, I say, I say with these, these parables that it said that Jesus often spoke in parables. In fact, in one place in the Bible it says, without parables, Jesus did not speak. 
What is that? Well, that's, 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 that's an extreme. They're, they're, they're making a point in order to understand how frequently Jesus used, um, used, uh, used parables. Um, this, I think, if you take a look at this scripture, we can get a better understanding of exactly what Jesus meant when we turn to a companion verse. A companion verse in the Bible means it's saying the same thing, but it's by a different author. So it, there's using, using sometimes slightly different words, slightly different events that are going on. It gives you an idea of exactly uh, what, it, what it means. Um, an example of uh, true meaning comes out of Matthew. Matthew quotes Jesus saying the same things, but he uses these words. He says, whoever loves his father or mother more than me, Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I want to call your attention also that in, this, in these verses, the words are not, he who wants to be my disciple. It says, these people cannot be my disciple. They cannot be my disciple. These are, these are the people that uh, shouldn't be following Jesus and they're the people that don't understand what it really means to make Jesus first you know a, a few years ago there was a popular teaching and it was basically this was in marriage counseling uh, that in marriage counseling you want to make sure that the people understand that they are number two number number two meaning that God is number one but our relationship with our spouse is number two and, and I can tell you just as being a pastor and using this kind of expression a few times and, and talking with married couples that sometimes they didn't get it. Uh, they, what do you mean I need to be number two? You, you, I, I'm your husband or I'm your wife. There should be nothing more important than us. No, uh, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that thou shalt not have no other gods, no other nothing above God himself. The Bible says that God is a, a jealous God and doesn't want anything to take place of, of number one in your life. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're looking to follow the Messiah, but, I, but Jesus is saying, I'm not only the Messiah, but Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus uses the word cross. Remember it says this, it says, it says whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Talking about enigmatic phrases, we know what that means today, right? If I said, hey, you've you got to pick up your cross, you kind of understand what that means, is that there's certain responsibilities I have. From time to time, there's things I need to do. And when those things happen, when they arise, I've just got to rise to the occasion. And my principles have to allow me to pick up my cross. It's an enigmatic expression. Well, did you know that prior to Jesus saying this, there was no idiomatic expression in Hebrew, in Aramaic at the time of Jesus about picking up your cross. Jesus is using something to rattle the people that are following him. People are following him because he's making miracles. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's like he's feeding the thousands, right? He's feeding the thousands, like having, um, here's all these food trucks, it's, it's free today. Just, just have your fill. So people are feeling, uh, following Jesus because he's a miracle worker. He's, he's doing some amazing things. But what Jesus is saying is he says, you need to be principled. You have to understand that, that I'm going to be picking up my cross and that my, uh, my disciples, my disciples can't be like those that have other things in place of God as the primary thing in their life, primary thing in your life. Um, 
They remember the, um, the parable of the sower. The sower was out sowing seed and seed fell all over the place. And, and one of the times, the, some of the seed fell on, on, area, on ground that, was, that grew up with, with thorns and thistles and weeds. And the weeds choked the life out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the plant because the, it was the cares of this life, the cares of this life. And, and Jesus is saying, don't let the cares of this life, don't, don't, even let, don't even let your relationship with your mother and father um, actually be those things that are more important than what it means to truly be a, a disciple, truly be a disciple. So the question is this, how much does it cost? How much does it cost then to truly be a disciple of Jesus? I, again, the scripture gives us some, some hints because there's two other, there's two many parables that follow these sayings of Jesus. Let's take a look at the parable of the tower building first. Jesus says this, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. The words I read often, people will take them to assume that you've got, you have to count the cost, that you're determining exactly what it's going to be, and you better understand what it, it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, but really, that's not what it's talking about. Remember, we already talked about the idea of trying to estimate what the cost is. Who, who should we know? I mean, I, I live in the United States. You know, I've been following Jesus Christ for over 40 years, and, and I've had it pretty good. There's, there's actually very little that I've had to give up in order to follow Christ. My life has been blessed. Now, that doesn't mean that at any given time, at some time in the future, that situation is going to change, right? It's going to change. And that's what disciples all around the world have found, that from time to time, things change and they're, they're under heavy persecution. But at that time we don't make a decision, do I continue to follow Jesus or do I give in to the persecution? No, we let our principles take over. If we're a, a wholly committed follower of Jesus Christ, uh, we know ahead of time exactly what our decision is going to be. We're always going to follow Christ. So this, this tower builder is interesting because it's almost saying, well, maybe you need to try to figure out what it's going to take to, to finish the project. Well, there's, there's two things I want to point out to you. Uh, no, number one is that in, the ch in a church setting, in a church setting, we never want to give uh, unbelievers the impression that somehow they need to kind of figure out what they need to do and kind of clean up their act. Uh, before they make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, you know, I, I, have a, I have a girlfriend and I have another girlfriend. I can't have these girlfriends. I know that the Bible says somewhere about you can't have all these different girlfriends. You can't be having sex outside of marriage. Um, you know, I, I, I like partying with my, my friends and I know I get drunk a few times and I, I don't want to give that up. No, 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 no. See, the, the church, pastors, churches, um, Christians should never give the impression that somehow we need to clean our lives up prior to coming to Jesus. Jesus takes us just the way we are. Um, Billy Graham, at the end of all of his crusades, all of his preaching to millions of people around the world, he always finished with a song, Just As I Am. That's how we, we come to Christ, just as we are. We come completely unprepared 
for what lies ahead of us. The only thing we're doing is we're understanding who Jesus is and we're making the commitment to follow him and to let him be the Lord of our lives. So that's the, the commitment. Now, at the same time, while churches and pastors and other Christians shouldn't give people the impression that you don't have to clean your life up, never give the impression that God won't do that work in your life. See, re regardless of the baggage that we carry, regardless of, of what we've done, of the sins that we've committed in the past, um, God will forgive those sins, but our old nature is still there. And what I've found in my own life and many, many other lives, in fact, almost without exception, is God begins to do renovation work. God begins to do renovation work on your life, on the things that you used to do, you no longer want to do. In fact, the Bible says that God will give you the desires, the desires of your heart, actually changes your heart. In scripture it says that we have a stony heart and God will take our stony heart and replace it with a, a heart of flesh. The other thing I want to do on this, on this, this topic of this, this, this tower is do you remember another story in the Bible about a tower? Yeah, early in the book of Genesis uh, the people got together and they decided that they were going to uh, build a tower, the Tower of Babel. Um, and the people decided that they didn't need God. What they would do is they'd just build a very, very high tower and be able to ascend into heaven. And of course that's not going to work. And what happened is, is God destroyed their plan. Uh, he confused the languages. They weren't able to do it. Maybe you've seen some of the illustrations about trying to cross a large chasm and trying to be good enough to be able to get across. Well, no matter how good we are, we're never going to be able to cross this chasm to get from heaven, from earth to heaven without the assistance of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus in order to get from point A to point B. Point A being where we are right now in our sins and point B of having a relationship with him and have eternity in store. So that's the, the parable of the tower. So Jesus explains that. And then he tells another parable. And I love this parable. It says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, will he send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace? And you know, we see this often in the Old Testament. There are all kinds of experiences where the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, were coming into the Promised Land. And these kings came against them. Five kings in one situation, seven kings in another situation. Well, these were basically armored mayors of large villages, uh, walled villages. They would have a wall around it, and the king would set up, and he would have his vessels and stuff like that, but it was, these were typically smaller uh, villages or, or small cities, and they were, they were kings. Well, if you read through the Bible or just understand history, what does it mean for a king to offer um, a peace treaty, to be able to, to go out and, and sue for peace? It means surrender. <laughs> it means surrender completely. I mean, if, if, a, if, if Alexander the Great is coming in, and the king comes out and instead of uh, taking his army with him, he just comes out with a white flag waving and he says, uh, we want peace. What is he doing? He's saying, I, I want to be able to surrender. 
Uh, I'm yours. You can do whatever you want to with me. I'm just hoping that some of the people that are in the city, uh, maybe the city itself, the buildings, the crops, the structures, the fields, aren't completely destroyed. But you're much more powerful than we are. We are going to sue for peace. We are surrendering, surrendering. You see, when we, when we understand and we take a look at this parable under, the, I, I, under what the Bible actually talks about, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, one of the words that comes to, man, to mind is, is surrender. I, I realized back 40 years ago that, that there was no way that I could be good in myself. As, as hard as I tried, as much as I knew uh, right from wrong, even though I wanted to be good, there were times when I just couldn't. And, and I knew I couldn't possibly do it without God. So my coming to Jesus Christ was a matter of surrender. Maybe it was for, for you as well. So what is Jesus looking for, if not those that are ready to buckle up our chin straps and get ready to, to be able to be a disciple, to be able to be completely prepared? What is, what is God really looking for? Well, again, he's, he's looking for people that are principled, that understand what it truly means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You know, in Romans 10:9, it says that if you believe in your heart, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Two spectacular things. Jesus, born of a virgin, was actually the Messiah. What we understand as part of the triune God, the second party of the, of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was God, God in the flesh. That's Emmanuel, that's what Emmanuel means. And when we understand that, and we understand that not only did he die for our sins, but that God rose him from the dead. Remember, the resurrection of the dead was something that was disputed even by the religious leaders in Jesus' day. There was a whole group of people, the Sadducees, that didn't believe that, that people would actually rise from the dead. They believed that after this life there was, there was nothing, nothing at all. But we have the promise of the resurrection. So when we come to Jesus, we have to understand, number one, he is the Lord of all. He's got to be first in our life, more than our mothers and fathers, our, our wives, our daughters. No matter who it is in our life, there's nothing that's going to be more important than God. That includes our careers. That includes our, our very life. We don't know what the cost is going to be to be a disciple. But Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple if ahead of time you already know there's going to be certain things that you're not going to give up in order to participate as a member of the kingdom of God. If you make a decision ahead of time that I'll go to church and I'll do certain things, but there's certain things I'm not going to do, you're not part of the kingdom of God. I mean, you can go to church if you want to, but you're not truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. Then Jesus says this. He says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, as I said before, we want to use scripture to interpret scripture. What, is this, what does this mean at the end of these two parables, at the end of this difficult saying that Jesus said you have to hate your mother, your father, your, your sisters, your daughters, whoever it is? Well, again, the context, the context um, is this, this idea of, of surrender to Jesus and, and having people that are going to follow him that understand that he is Lord of all, that he is first place in our life. And, and Jesus is going to be building a kingdom. And if he's going to be building a kingdom, he wants people that are committed to building the kingdom. 
In, in Matthew 5, we can see uh, this, this, these, these verses uh, take light in, in a slightly different way with a few different words. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. He says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, curse you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. There's that word. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot. You see, Jesus was using exactly the same metaphor again. That, that we're to be salt. We're to be salt of the earth. Salt is used as a preservative. It's used to give something flavor. Um, it, it basically stands against decay. Jesus told Peter, he says, this, this kingdom, this kingdom uh, will never be shaken. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of, of God. We know that even during the most difficult times in Christian history, there were times when Christianity was attacked on the east and the west by Islam. It got condensed and condensed and condensed. But we knew that Jesus had said, the gates of hell will never prevail. That there was going to be a time when there was a resurgence. We know that at the end time, Jesus says, um, the Son of Man is coming, but will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? So there's going to be a time of, of tribulation, a time of difficulty. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. He's telling us that even though you can't count the cost, you have to be ready. You have to be fully committed to be truly a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It means to surrender everything that I have and to be able to follow Jesus like you've never followed anything in the past. You like that? Let me pray with you. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this, for this parable, for the opportunity to... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.